Now, the name Beth Esda, that's the name of the house where they were all, well, supposedly waiting for a miraculous cure, uh, according to this, what I fear was little more than a rumor, little more than just a legend that an angel would come down, stir the water, and the first one in it would appear, or at least the first ones in, that they would have some hope of being healed. Now, this was a kind of Jewish Lourdes. Uh, you know Lourdes in France, where Roman Catholics believe that miracles take place. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. Thank you for joining with us on our program. And I trust that there will be a blessing in store for your own heart as we turn today to John's Gospel, Chapter 5, Hope for Those That Despair. The house of Bethesda was to be a house of healing, but more often it was a house of bitter disappointment until the Lord Jesus came along and demonstrated His grace to heal and to help. So stay tuned as we turn to John chapter 5 and the miracles at the pool of Bethesda. We have a hymn, Savior, like a shepherd lead us. And as we are still in the new year, well, let us look to the Lord to be our shepherd, to lead us and guide us as we walk with him and serve him daily. We come firstly just for a few minutes to Romans 1 verse 8. And the question here is, what can we glean about the history of this congregation at the time of writing? Verse 8, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. From these words, we, we learn that they had a fairly long history. I'm not talking hundreds of years, of course, but a number of years, enough to establish them as a testimony in all the world. Now, remember, Rome was the, the center of the empire. Uh, people were coming and going, travelers, politicians, military people. And as the message of Christianity went out in Rome, so it spread out like spokes in a wheel to various parts of the Roman Empire. And Paul the Apostle was delighted that the impact of the early church in Rome was indeed being felt around the world. Now, the church at Rome was public. It was not yet driven underground. The Jews had been there firstly, and they had been for a time driven out by Claudius, but were allowed back. And due to difficulties controlling them, they were given a particular place to reside in the suburbs of Rome. The Christians would also have been given this freedom. And we know that when Paul was in Rome, he was permitted house arrest and allowed to receive visitors from the general public. And so there were many opportunities to get the gospel out, and they were being effective. This is a challenge to us. We live in a land of freedom. We have an opportunity to spread the gospel by various means, and are we doing what we can to get the gospel out? Let me challenge you. Uh, are you a part of spreading the message of the gospel? 
would such a testimony be brought about you that we thank God that through you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world or even the whole community. Christians are to be living testimonies and witnesses for the Lord Jesus. That we learn right here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 8. Now today we're, as I mentioned, turning to John chapter 5 for our main message on the miraculous help of the Lord to those that were waiting at the pool of Bethesda for healing. And our hymn coming up now is Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. Stay tuned as we bring to you the rest of our program today. I've entitled the message tonight here on John 5, this story of the man who was impotent or powerless for 38 years, living in what really was a false hope of being cured by this stirring of the water, and his complaint was that he could never get there quickly enough before someone else entered into that water. Now, I've entitled this message, From Despair to Hope. There are many places in the world that you could visit tonight where there is absolute despair. You don't have to go outside of Canada. You can go to none of it. I have spoken recently about the um, suicide rate, five times the national average in that area. The seed cause of it, we fear, is just the lack of the knowledge of the Lord. And of course, there's high unemployment, there's dysfunctionalism, there's alcoholism, perhaps there's drugs, and it's a society that is just ruinous. And if you were a parent raising children in that community, you would despair. And unfortunately, all too many young people take their lives. If you were in many parts of Canada, uh, of Africa, there is despair. Uh, there seems to be much food, great natural resources, but there is war and disease ravaging many populations in Africa. 
And then, of course, there's refugees. There has to be some reason why people will risk their lives going across the Mediterranean, trying to get out of Africa into various parts of Europe. And you've heard the reports of little junky boats sinking, tipping over with overcrowded refugees trying to flee the country. You wonder tonight, has the world really changed? And this despair that has eaten the heart out of multitudes of people generation after generation, that it's still with us in the world today. The land of Israel during the day of the Lord Jesus was a land that knew great peace. They also knew order and prosperity through the Roman Empire. It was probably the most prosperous period in the history of that part of the world when the Lord Jesus came on the scene. You've heard it said that uh, the Romans built the roads and the Greeks brought the language by which the gospel was spread. Well, those roads meant merchandise, trade, commerce, and it brought a degree of riches and prosperity. And yet, in the midst of that commerce, in the midst of all the prosperity, you have this sheep market, this forum that is opened up, this large building with five porches, and just read the list of the sick. In verse 5, you have impotent folk, blind, halt, withered. What a description of various kinds of, pe of people. Now, the name Beth Esda, that's the name of the house where they were all, well, supposedly waiting for a miraculous cure, uh, according to this, what I fear was little more than a rumor, little more than just a legend, that an angel would come down, stir the water, and the first one in, it would appear, or at least the first ones in, that they would have some hope of being healed. Now, this was a kind of Jewish Lourdes. Uh, you know Lourdes in France, where Roman Catholics believe that miracles take place. And there are many people with illnesses and infirmities that go to that place, and they think it is a center for curing. Mind you, the statistical rate is absolutely atrocious. And you can see people on the roller coaster going off to Lourdes with hope, coming back in awful despair. Well, this man, he was 38 years in this condition. Now, I want to be careful. The Scripture, the, the record in John doesn't say that he was there in that situation for 38 years, but he had this disease, uh, this being impotent, powerless, some kind of a, a muscular atrophy where he could not hardly move himself. He was totally immobile. And he was in that state for 38 years. I noticed something else, that when the Lord Jesus healed him, it wasn't by water. It wasn't by getting him to the water after it seemed supposedly stirred by an angel and getting him there firstly. No, the Lord healed him in a totally different manner. 
And so this man was waiting for a healing which to him never came that way. But it's very interesting that the Lord Jesus was here at all. It's the kind of sanatorium that most people would flee from. They might catch some contagious disease. And while Bethesda is called a house of mercy, well, it really was a place of despair. And here is the Lord Jesus right in this place. Now, in the providence of God, you have the Lord setting his interest on this man, who was most likely the, the least and the last person you would think would ever be cured out of the, the uh, multitude in that Bethesda home. He was the last, the one least likely to be healed. Reminds me of the thief on the cross and of how the Lord turned to the thief who had earlier while hanging on that cross beside him, reeled on his teeth and blasphemed the Lord Jesus. And yet one of those thieves was chosen, saved, and prepared for heaven. What a miracle. What a wonder. And of course, uh, this is a word for those who tonight may be feeling that you are in a state of despair. Your own heart is discouraged. You're down. You have no excitement about tomorrow. You do not know how you're ever even going to get through this week that is in front of you, and you are controlled by that despair. I pray, and I have prayed for this, that the Lord will bring hope to your heart tonight that there will be something in, in the account of Jesus meeting the need of this man that will give you reason to go off walking and rejoicing, because that's what happened in this case. A man 38 years in a hopeless condition is sent off walking, carrying his own bed. He became one who was immovable, to become a mover. And maybe tonight you wonder, what am I going to do with my life? There's no way open for me. There's no way forward for me. I hope we will learn a few things from this account that will fill your heart with hope this evening. Now, Jesus is the only true hope because you can't be saved and you can't be helped until the Lord calls you and cures you. That's exactly how things transpire here in this account. I want you to notice that there was despair in the system. Despair in the system. As we move amongst this assorted plague bodies in this place called Bethesda, we wonder who will ever be brought to the waters for healing, if there's any healing at all. It would seem to me to be a total legend. And instead of a place of hope, this place Bethesda, which by name means house of mercy, becomes a place of despair. And time and time and time and time again, hopes were dashed in this place only to be driven back to torment of mind, never mind their own bodies. Now, 
There's a great lesson here for us tonight in this, because false religion is just like that. I see this picture, this Beth Esda, this name up, House of Mercy, and here are people who are sickly with all kinds of diseases, and they're coming to this place. It seems to be a last resort. They may even be abandoned by friends, family, and community. And there they, they shuffle in with their wee bit of stuff that they might eke out their last days, or hopefully get into that water to be cured. But it is despair in the system. And I see religion, false religions, just like that. Now, over the years in our church, we have examined various religions, various cults, various uh, churches and organizations, and we have looked in, and it all comes down to one thing, works. False religion always goes back to works, whereas the gospel is grace. And we're going to learn. That's what the Lord Jesus brought to this man, grace. God chose him, set his love upon him, sent his Son into his very midst, sifted him out, and called him to be marvelously cured. But what does false religion do? It sends people to a system of works. Heal yourself. That's really what it comes down to. An empty, Christless religion keeps people dangling on a string. It's like the picture of the, the donkey with the, the stick and carrot method. And if it won't respond to pushing and prodding, well, it will respond to this, this carrot that's dangling maybe two feet in front of its nose. And as it sees the carrot, it wants to walk forward to get it. But as it walks forward, of course, uh, the, the stick and string uh, somehow attached to the poor beast, uh, it's going forward as well. And it's just this despair. Keep walking, but you never get to eat the prize. False religion is just like that. And tonight, you need to know this. It's not religion you need. It's the Lord Jesus. And that's the bottom line of this miracle we see here. The system is full of despair, but you need the Lord Jesus in your life, in your heart, to call you and save you. Now, I want you to also notice that there was hopelessness in his own intentions. And you've heard the statement that hell is paved with good—the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Well, you'll see them right here in verse 7. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Now, I don't know how many times he attempted that, but it would appear it was endless times, times not to be counted. And he had the best of intentions. And, and we're not told what healings actually transpired or if any took place, but this was the legend. And the Lord didn't get into that. He just healed him a totally different way. Now, the Lord asked him in verse 6, wilt thou be made whole? 
And then he went on with all these intentions that he had, and how often he would have tried to step into that water first. He was serious about his healing. He was earnest that he might find an answer. But the whole system was totally flawed. Despair in the system and intentions that led absolutely nowhere. And you need to know tonight that good intentions don't save your soul. And you may say, well, I want to be a Christian, and I want to serve God, but that will not save your soul. And all the good intentions, whether there be New Year resolutions or turning over a, a new sheet in your life, that will not save your soul. You need the Lord. And until you truly have the Lord in your life, you are still living in a system of despair that will drive you crazy. And so we learn this right here. Another point I make that all whom Jesus call, they receive a complete cure. You'll notice the, the, the amazing miracle in this man's life. Look at verse 9. You'll see that immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. He was made whole. There's no playing around with words here. The guy walked home. That answers it all. For 38 years, he had a muscular problem, couldn't move. For whatever years, he was in this system of despair, waiting on water to stir that he might get there to be healed. It never worked. And suddenly, he's up and out of there. He's walking home, pain-free, disease-free, with his mattress on his back. That's the cure that the Lord Jesus gave him. Now, you can't argue with facts. And the facts are self-evident here that this man was marvelously cured. Now, the, even the Jews standing around, they couldn't argue with the facts. They couldn't say, oh, no, no, he's not cured. He's not really healed. This is just some kind of a, a false event. No, they had to acknowledge that he was cured. But the point of attack was, but he cured him on the Sabbath. And they came with that angle to attack the Lord Jesus. Now, this complete cure of the man's body is the very point of the gospel that makes salvation the power of God, not of man. The Lord cured him. The Lord healed him. Now, when we apply this to your salvation, the changing of your life and your heart, the one thing you need is the Lord to do the work of curing, saving, and changing. Now, let's talk a little bit tonight about what the Lord exactly does when he saves your soul. Well, regeneration is a sudden and complete work. That's the miracle of the new birth. Now, now don't object and say, well, but what is this born again? Well, regeneration is a sudden and complete work of God in the soul of men. You're either not saved or you're completely saved. You're either not born or you are born. 
There's no such thing as being half dead and half alive. And this man, he was not partly cured. He was completely cured. That's the parallel that we need to see as we apply this to the work of the gospel. And here in the new birth experience, when you are regenerated, here is a miracle. It is the life of God, the Holy Spirit, coming directly into your heart so that your body now becomes the vessel or the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is nothing more radical, nothing more miraculous than that. Indeed, it's more miraculous than any healing of any part of the human body. Life is given. And as I say, you can't be half converted and half still a child that's dead in sin. It's not the way it works. It is an absolute, total, sudden, miraculous, definite work of the Spirit of God in your heart. Something else that is equally complete, and that is your justification. When you are brought to faith in the Lord Jesus and saved by the cross work of Christ— your sins are completely forgiven. You are given an absolute pardon from all sin, past sin, present sin, future sin. And through the infinite value of the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross, that blood, when it is applied to your heart, it deals with every stain, every guilt, every shame of sin is canceled. And God now looks upon you as justified, just as if you had never sinned. And that's the miracle you need. You see, every other form of religion will tell you, well, salvation's a journey. It's a process. You've got to get out there and start turn over a new leaf, do better, work at it. And what do people do? It's a system of despair. They may accomplish a few little things, and then they just fall flat back into the ways of sin again. No, you need a new heart. You need to be born of the Spirit. You need to be justified by the saving, mighty power of the Lord Jesus. Do you want me to give you a verse on that? I think there might be just a few people here tonight, and you want to know this. You want to be able to go home tonight and pray about this. Let's turn to Acts 13 and 39. Acts 13 and verse 39. Here is a clear Bible statement on what happens when you are justified. And by him all that believe are justified from all things. And here's the flip side of it, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca.
This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdalefpc.ca, and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning, and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdalefpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdalefpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.